Let's go, focus, breathe. Now pull the thing up. Go, 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 go. Up, you've got it, Rorden. You've got it. Stand, stand up! Very good, mate. Oh, that's a bit of a... Well... Things you see. They're things you see behind the glass. A couple of cougars. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is Under the Bar, the Clean Health Podcast. It is. My name is Tom Hewitt. With me is the super coach, club manager down at Clean Health, Rawdon Dubois. Uh, hi, Tom. Oh, nice cream. Very good, very good. Uh, I hope you've had a good day out there, everyone. I hope yeah, you have. Oh, so talking yeah. to the, talking the to audience. listeners, Sorry, mate. mate. Yeah, listeners, my day's been alright, I guess. And I'll thank them for tuning in. Uh, yes. I'll thank you for being here, Rodden, if you like. Well, thank you for being here, Tom. Um, did you start your day with a, a shot of lime and the pink Himalayan rock salt, Rodden? Tom. I know, I but certainly did. I also it. I also chucked in a little teaspoon of glycine as well. Ooh, cheeky. Yes. Yeah, just to blunt the bit of cortisol that you brought up with the... Uh, <laughs> 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 Very nicely done. <laughs> Mate, I uh, started the day with a little yohimbin. Oh, you good. A bit of, uh, bit of steady state. Yeah, right. Going yep. against uh, tradition. But yeah, well, you and I are chasing the body composition at the moment. So. That's right, well, uh, you're working with Mr. Benoit. Benoit, he's about to hit me up with a uh, twice-a-day, twice a yep. 10-day rotation. So I do two rotations of twice-a-day. I think it's 10 days straight of twice-a-day. Twice-a-day, then a week, once-a-day, then repeat. Then repeat. Uh, twice-a-day, then yeah. once-a-day. So that so should be pretty nasty. Six weeks of fun. Hell. Yep. That'll be fun. Uh, and me, of course, working with uh, with Milos. Grinding it out. Grinding on the, it uh, out. Getting my sweat on. Yes. Mm-hmm. Big show coming up today, Rorden. Huge. Um, now, we promised last week after the epic Mark Schaus episode that we're going to take the lab coats off and leave them off for a couple of episodes. However... Yeah, no. No. Back on, Mark. I <laughs> see you had yours when I came in. Yeah. So the white lab coat's coming on for just one segment today. Yes. We're going to have a look at vitamin D3. And this is actually off the back of our interview with Schausie last week. Yep. And our little discussion about basic blood chemistry yes we actually made some recommendations that around about 1000 to 2000 international units or iu of vitamin d per day yeah and we thought about it a little bit over the weekend and we had a chat and then we've done a bit more research and yeah it would appear that that recommendation is a little on the lean side lean yeah but combined sources you're probably still uh, close to where you need to be if we're still getting it from nutrition plus the one two thousand supplementation yeah but yeah we'll, we'll delve a little deeper into the uh the lab coat yes really get the sleeves in and uh talk about vitamin d vitamin d basic yeah. overview that's right uh, what, it does, dance, what it does why you need it where to get it and how much how much and, yeah. and rationalize why how much yeah which is the key thing our special guest on this episode of Under the Bar is going to be Coach Christian Thibodeau. Tippy-toes. Any of you who have been on T-Nation... Prolific writer there. Yeah, very prolific. He's written a a number of books as well. So if you have done some research into strength training online, no doubt his name has come up multiple times. Yeah. And we're going to talk to him today. I guess we're getting a bit of a different perspective on hypertrophy. Yeah. Uh, obviously, the Milos Sarchevs and the John Meadows of the world, yep. uh, you know, like a lot of volume, hit the muscle from yeah. all different fibers. Exhaust everything. Workout nutrition. We're going to talk to Christian Thibodeau about high threshold muscle building. He, he wrote a book mm. called High Threshold mm. Muscle Building, and essentially he likes 
using heavier loads yeah. and uh, really tapping into fast twitch muscle fibre as your means for hypertrophy. So we'll get him to rationalise that and see what he likes Explain. with his workout nutrition and everything as well. Yeah, I mean, you know myself, I, I like to program. And actually, so do, you know, like, we give a snapshot of Milos and uh, John and, and they're the first to tell you, well, <laughs> yeah, we do volume, but we also yeah. do heavy heavy stuff too. Exactly. So those, those yeah, guys we, are... The volume goes up in the videos we put on social media because it's yeah. fun to watch, but there's still plenty of meat and nuts in there. Meat and nuts. That's yes. right. And our tip from the trenches this week to take a little mm, segue... Mm on that topic with Christian Thibodeau or Tippy Toes because we're we're good mates we're going to talk about the intraset pause as a means of recruiting those high threshold motor units it does a few other things as well so we'll um, go into the ins and outs of intraset pausing yeah explain what it is and how to do it definitely and then at the end if we have time we'd like to give something back we're going to make time for this Tom (laughs) Yes. This is gold. We have to. We have to. What gold. are we calling it? We're not calling it the subscriber raffle. No, that's... Oh. I don't like that. Um, we'll think of something by the time it comes by around. By the time it comes around. Basically, we've got a uh, an under-the-bar podcast pack. Well, I did notice you set this huge wheel up in the uh, in the studio here, Tom. Like a big spinning wheel that we're going to spin. Yeah. And, uh, it was a real burden on the walk up think, here from the gym. Yeah, I think Cam and, and you, you guys set it up. Looks good. Yeah, I think Professional. it Professional. Yeah. Cam looks a little uncomfortable. It's kind of squashed against him up against the desk. But, it is. Uh, so no doubt we'll have a huge round of applause when we spin that damn thing. <laughs> no we'll doubt. have to wait and see. But we're going to spin it. We're going to pick a number and we're going to give a podcast pack to the lucky subscriber whose, right. uh, number, whose number comes up. And that's the show. All right, let's get into it. Boom. Righto, mate. Well, it gets closer and closer every week. Why don't you give us a little wrap on what's happening with your <sighs> your array, your murder of competitors. Murder of competitors. Yeah, well, I guess the first national uh, IFBB physique champion, Alex Thompson's going with his little trip into ICU there, you know, yep. uh, mucking the process up. And so basically for him uh, doing the, the cool stuff, heavy squats and deadlifts, they got put on the back burner. We still rep out some uh, calf work but anything that's really going to challenge his uh, cardiovascular system I've had to sort of pull back a little bit just simply because there is still some inflammation is it going to stop him training no is it a little uncomfortable yes specialist said yeah go for it but nothing's going to get worse mm. so if you can handle it do it so we just tweaked his program so all upper body we're doing like a rotate upper body rotation and then a, and a refeed day so program change nutritional changes threw in after actually talking about curcumin from a anti-inflammatory uh, perspective so yes. obviously the fish oil, all the stands are there and low carb nutrition all that type of stuff everything to reduce inflammation i've, I've uh, already employed but i've added uh, high dose curcumin so between 10 and 15 grams a day i think we've got him on to help ramp down inflammation and um i assessed him actually yesterday and uh, he's he was in a rut, not budging, and now he's he's back down to just over four percent on the the calipers on the biosig. Yes, mm-hmm. it's not a true four percent. I know that, but uh, point being is he's dropped you know quite a few percent in a, in a number of weeks. So he looks, although uh, his physique, I guess, uh, is not quite as uh, the mass isn't quite there at this point in time, but. I've, my plan is to get his body fat levels down then I'll sort of grow him into the show a little bit I'll bring calories back up and, and get him to because re, uh, remember the body in a, a restricted caloric state 
it's just dying to super compensate. So when I put yes. a bit extra fuel in, he, he should grow in, uh, in the last sort of 10 days into the show. So that's the plan anyway. So he's going really well. I'm happy with that. Sounds good. Uh, Maya, so she's uh, my girl going uh, for a women's physique. So she's got to do Australasians to qualify for the Arnolds and then into the Arnolds. She's on track dialing in. Pinched her just over uh, 4%. Yeah. Uh, again on the calipers, and I was not a true four uh, percent. But she's, she's she's about as lean as I've seen a female, really. <laughs> yeah, she's looking pretty pretty freaky. So yeah. hopefully uh, the issue with her will be maintaining that muscle mass. Uh, went Across down two shows. Yeah, went down and saw uh, Nathan Page, head judge, uh, one of the head judges for the IFBB. Hi Nathan, if you're listening. Um, but he he said, yeah, look, the trick will be to try and if if I can put a little more muscle on the upper body. So uh, I don't know how I'm going to do that, but we'll try bringing the calories up, similar to what we did with. Uh, that I'm planning to do with Alex, but um, the trick will be to maintain that muscle mass. But yeah, on track, looking good for her too. So that'd be a good debut in the IFBB for her. Excellent. And I've got my uh, Paul coming in perfectly. Uh, he's on track for the IFBB Arnold's, another one uh, who will do really well. Uh, my other uh, client, Steve, uh, he's looking fantastic coming in for Australasians and Arnold's as well, in men's physique. And I have my client, Nick, as well, who is again dialing in. So. Fingers crossed that they're all getting in shape at the right point in time. So so good. far so good, mate. And and it will be just uh, continuing to progress into the line, uh, into the finish line, but also uh, making sure they come in with as much muscle mass as possible. That'll be the trick. But yeah, it's a pretty good update from from me this time around. They all seem to be actually responding and doing what they should be doing. So very good. Yeah, good stuff. Okay, Rawdon, vitamin D, 25 OHD. It is a, well, it's a micronutrient. It's a a fat-soluble vitamin. It's also referred to as a hormone modulator as well for the... Modulator. (laughs) Yeah. ...effect that it has. It's one of the few supplements now that both Western and functional medicine agree upon the importance of. Yes. Although there are discrepancies between the, the reference ranges that... I guess Western or functional medicine would prescribe, and this is yeah. a little bit like the the pathological versus functional reference ranges yeah. that we discussed last week with the blood markers. There's yeah. an opt, well, there's a level of vitamin D3 required to not get rickets, rickets or yeah, rickets. Os- or osteoporosis. Yeah, but then there's another level of vitamin D3 for optimal human health. Yeah, and, and there's a bit Cellular of a discrepancy. Else, yeah, yeah, a discrepancy between the two. So I guess there are some basic things that vitamin D3 has a crucial role in. One of the yeah. most important is, of course, the absorption of calcium. Yeah, I guess that's the really the biggie that will your doctor will look at. Yes. And, um, you know, Western medicine will look at. But obviously, we, we, we spoke last week about the whole detoxification of every cell in the body as a receptor for vitamin D. So it plays a, a hugely more significant role than just uh, calcium absorption. But, mm. yeah, that's the, the main one. I think you were then going to go on to say about, you know, chugging down all the, all the milk. Well, if your vitamin D status is poor, then... You're not going to absorb any of that calcium anyway. Chug away, yeah. Chug away. Because you do get those clients that haven't been exposed to what we do down at Clean Health. You come in, you yep. give them a initial nutrition plan. Yep. As we've discussed many times in this program, you might take away any foods that could cause inflammation to the gut. So mm. gluten, boom, mm. out the door. Out the window. Dairy, boom. Boom. Second off Gone. the plank, fed to the sharks. Fed to the sharks. And they're like, well, where do I get calcium. my calcium from? Where do mm. I get my calcium? Mm. Well, look, if your vitamin D3 status is good and you eat plenty of dark leafy greens, and, calcium and for perhaps the roof. a little 
little sun in the middle of the day. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, baby. <laughs> now you're talking. Yeah. So uh, uh, the vitamin D covered. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Absorption of calcium uh, is crucial. Yeah. Uh, they also use vitamin D three for treatment of chronic illness, but if you have good levels, well, then prevention of chronic illness, things like cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, all these things. Yeah. Uh, good vitamin D status will go a long way towards preventing such ailments. Yeah, I was um, listening to a, uh, in, in, in preparation for this uh, podcast, Tom, as we oh, do. Oh, you prepared? Yeah, well, occasionally we do, and, and months and months of preparation for this segment, Tom, <laughs> and I was w- uh, watching a, a professor, a Michael Hollick, uh, professor of medicine uh, in the US, um, at Boston University, I think, but he was, one of the stats he was rattling off, you're 50% less likely to have cardiovascular or heart attack if your vitamin D levels are good, but if your vitamin D levels are poor, you're 100% more likely to die from that heart attack. So, you know, vitamin D status good, less likely to have a heart attack. Vitamin D status bad, have a heart attack, good chance you're going to die. Well, 100%. 100% chance you're going to die. So, you know, that in itself, even if we didn't talk about anything else more in this segment, would be a reason for me to go and uh, lay in the sun, strip down in the street there, in the sun. VMOs rippling. Baking away, Tom, and then chugging down some milk and popping a few D3. (laughs) Immune health. So uh, the immune system, basically, vitamin D3 activates the immune defense cells, the T cells that go around and uh, go and try and kill infection. They don't sort of arm themselves unless there are adequate supplies of vitamin D3. Exactly. And then a lot of the the functional medicine doctors or practitioners, I should say, will advocate the, not that we're saying on the show one way or the other, vaccines or or, or flu shots, influenza shots. But a lot of the the feeling there is, and what they suggest is simply ramp up vitamin D in the in the, the cold and flu season, yes. as opposed to getting a, a injected with the influenza. That's right. So you know they're, they're claiming that much more effective defense of influenza than the influenza than the <laughs> vaccination. Shot. You know, yeah. so, and, and a lot cheaper and, and uh, without the downside. Without the downside, yeah, yeah exactly. Well. So um, okay, so that's immune health. Also, chronic pain. We train and. Yes. Our joints and our, yes. our muscles cop a bit of a pounding, yep. and uh, certainly a vitamin D3 deficiency will contribute to all sorts of uh, chronic pain, joint pain, muscle yep. pain. and in I think rheumatoid arthritis has also been referenced yeah. as having a significant uh, impact on, on preventing it, but also uh, helping the body deal with it. Yeah. And just body composition in general, there's plenty of research that shows a strong correlation with uh, elevated fat mass or, or high body fat and low vitamin d3 status yes not saying that's causation but certainly a a correlation between the two you're far more likely to have a better body composition with higher levels of vitamin vitamin d well the whole body the the cellular machinery of the body just works more efficiently i like it should with 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 adequate vitamin d status also the reference ranges that we're going to give a little later on 40 60 nanograms per liter there um with someone who is obese will need to you know two three times as much as that so that's just something to to bear in mind if you are your body fat levels are high you do need to actually consume far more vitamin d than than the average the average person yeah 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 Yeah, something about now mate you mentioned this uh cellular turnover so we've got those list of you know and you could go on and on and on about all the benefits of vitamin d3 but the primary thing and this is probably the most important thing to get out of what vitamin d actually does is that Mm. basically every cell in the human body is constantly regenerating yeah essentially we create a total new body from inside out 
Yeah. There's different numbers around what the figure actually is. Some stuff you read will say you have a whole new body in 11 months. Yeah. Well, I thought that, you know, this version of you, Tom, is much better than the, the 11-month-old version. You know? Well, I think so. Yeah. I certainly think certainly so. Certainly a glow to the cheek and uh, you're looking very, <laughs> very sharp. Very roosterish. <laughs> but yeah, that's um, but, fascinating. But, but what they do agree on is, say, a middle-aged adult, yep. the age of their cells are really no more than 7 to 10 years old. So yeah. basically you're building a new Rawdon Dubois uh, you know, at the very max every seven years or thereabouts. Yes. And I think they know that the liver, as an example, yeah. um, regenerates itself every three to 500 days. Holy so, moly. So the body's constantly turning over. And so every cell in the body, as we've mentioned, it has a receptor for vitamin D3. Yep. Every cell in the body, whether it's a skin cell or a muscle cell, has this uh, unique DNA sequencing, which is yep. your, the, the DNA code for Rawdon Dubois. Yep. Or Tom Hewitt. Whatever the case may be. Or Cam. Um, <laughs> touch got, of the cams. You got DNA too, brother. <laughs> Apparently. Um, there we go. And so what the vitamin D3 does is essentially it greases the wheels of the cellular turnover machine. Very so as the, as the cells are regenerating, they just don't do it efficiently without yeah. adequate vitamin D3 stores. Yeah. So if you think about all of those benefits that we've just listed, well, they all come down to the fact that the body is constantly regenerating itself yes. and vitamin D is the key micronutrient in that process. Yeah, well, if ever, the, I mean, we've given a few examples of why you need it, but that's uh, a, a big fundamental yeah. when you think about what's actually happening in the body. That's crazy. It certainly made me think about what I'm doing with my oh. D3 supplementation. I know, mate. Yeah. I've uh, bumped mine up after this because, you know, the months of research we've done over the last few months, I've been. But, but also, my clients have, have now, hey, you know that vitamin D I used to harp on about all the time? Let's get back on get it back on uh, ASAP. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, I guess, mate, why are we deficient in the first place? Well, I mean, sunlight, Tom. That's, yes. a, that's a biggie. Yes. You know, a lot of us are slave to the wage, you know, like mm. uh, certainly me. Yeah, oh, yes. You know, like uh, Dane doesn't let me out of the office You're much. You're in there having little micro-sleeps. Micro-sleep after micro-sleep. And yes. that, that doesn't require much vitamin D to do that, Tom. None at all, no. At in all. fact, but I would say vitamin D3 deficiency contributes to your yes. uh, micro-sleepery. I should go lie in Druitt Lane and, uh, you know get a tan <laughs> midday perhaps but yeah definitely sunlight a big one and i guess we used to back in the day way 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 back in the day prehistoric man mm-hmm. um, we used to get a ton of exposure to the sun throughout the day so that uh, and obviously nutritional choices would have yeah. made up that and i think they've worked it out they had a look at tribes in i think it was kenya or yes uh, east africa east africa yeah. yeah so they basically looked at they did some blood serum tests on so a, the closest to what they could find living off the land yeah. in the sun all day long tribal community which lives basically as close to ancestral yep. humans as we can possibly get and they found that their vitamin d3 blood levels were what in the, the optimal range which they've correlated with a number of other things as well yeah interesting so um, even um a, a, you know, like a snapshot of, of back in the day, you know, they still had those uh, those optimal levels. And so I guess let's, why don't we sort of go over how much vitamin D we actually need. So sunlight, yeah, food and supplementation, I guess, would be the, the sources where we get that, yeah? Yeah, three sources of vitamin D, correct. Yep. There's a, uh, a doctor, Professor Robert Haney, yeah. uh, who works out of Creighton University. And he's basically been studying vitamin D for 20 years. He's one of the preeminent experts in vitamin D. Another and, guru. And the thing about it is, Rawdon, is that a lot of the good studies done on vitamin D only really Recently. were kicked in around the 1990s. So yeah. 
this information that we're getting is relatively new. Yeah. Uh, and that's why there is this discrepancy between the old school and now what the functional guys are actually saying. Yep. But basically, what he is asserting is that these optimal levels are based around a group of findings. So, one, the minimum compensation required. So, that's basically the amount of vitamin D needed for optimal cellular turnover that's that process of cell regeneration we're talking about so for that process to happen absolutely optimally top of the notch you need a blood reading of 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter okay and if you were to convert that over to because that's not that's the american American way european and australian if we're going to make that metric it would be 100 to 150 nanomoles per liter per blood So they came with that figure, that 40 to 60 nanograms Nanograms. per milliliter, right, for the minimum compensation required. Then they went and looked at the ancestral value, which is that East African tribe value we're talking about. So what the human has evolved to have baseline levels of. Yep, optimal functioning, et cetera, et cetera, healthy. Their levels were between 40 to 60 nanograms Ah, per milliliter. Okay. Then they went and had a look at how much vitamin D you need for critical function. And for this one, they looked at the minimum requirement for a lactating mother to actually have sufficient vitamin D in her breast milk to give her child sufficient vitamin D D. status for optimal growth and function and all that kind of stuff. And once again, the magic number between 40 to 60 nanograms per per milliliter. Milliliter, okay, cool. So that's the magic figure. So now to achieve that level of blood... Let's uh, talk about that. To achieve that level of blood concentration, the recommended daily dosage they're now looking at is 5,000 to 6,000 international units of vitamin D3 per day. Okay. All right, and that's combined, yeah? Correct. All right, so we mentioned uh, sunlight. Yes. Uh, I think it would also be worth mentioning that when we do actually get it from sunlight, there are other uh, perceived health benefits, a lot of which we don't actually know. Yes. One of them is the radiation. It actually elevates nitric oxide, which has benefits for blood pressure, lowering blood pressure, just one of the many benefits of going out in the sun. So Mm. sensibly going out in the sun. So it's sort of getting out there and and getting out before you get burnt. Yes. So in between. And it's also worth mentioning that the vitamin D that the body does produce when in the sun lasts a lot longer as well so it'll actually stay uh, active in the body for a longer period than what it does with supplementation so uh, it's a good advertisement to to actually take your time to go out in the sun where possible and uh, get some uh, sun exposure to get your bumpy vitamin d levels bumpy up. vitamin d up so then yeah. so we've got the sun exposure yep. in terms of nut- nutritional intake Gordon, obviously uh, animal proteins yes. are foods which are quite rich in vitamin D. Yeah, like Professor Haney, the, the guy you were talking about, he mentioned meat being one of the best sources of vitamin D. So, you know, we do talk about having uh, protein and nutrition, or obviously all the, the tons of benefits um, for what we do down at the CHPC and uh, in regards to reducing body fat, increasingly muscle mass. But yeah, to get vitamin D, there's another reason to actually eat meat or animal yes. meat. Okay. While we're talking about food, I will rattle off some of the highest sources of uh, Please do. Yeah, facts and figures. I will get my little piece of paper out. Oh. Cod liver oil, number one. Yes. So basically a lot of the uh, little fish. So cod liver oil, oily fish, mushrooms, believe it or not, portobello being number number one to go to there for vitamin D. But fortified cereals, boo, hiss, we don't want people uh, eating cereals. Tofu, boo, hiss, you know, we don't want them having soy, but on occasion there's a reason to have soy. Caviar, 
Dairy products, pork, definitely in there. Eggs, okay, eggs are fantastic. Superfood. Superfood. We've, we've spoken about that on Under the Bar before. Oh, yes. So a couple of uh, examples of, of foods that uh, you can get a higher content of vitamin D, but rule of thumb, your, your meats or your proteins, as long as you're consuming some protein throughout the day, you're, you're going to be Okay, so let's say you're getting one to 2,000 IU per day from your foods. Yep. If you do get the chance to go out and get some sunlight, that's fantastic. You might yep. bump up another couple of thousand there, thereabouts. Yep. So then when you chuck in supplementation on top of that, what we're looking at, I guess, another... Like what we said, yeah, another one to 2,000 IU uh, a day. But, you know, like you're about to mention in regards to uh, upper limits, etc., you can quite safely go much higher than that to, yes. to cover your bases and uh, make sure your vitamin D status is good. I mean, I guess that's the primary concern with vitamin D toxicity. Yeah, so we, how we, much can you actually... I mean, it is a fat-soluble vitamin, so yep. it can build up to, to toxic stores, levels yep. in, in fat stores, and you can get all sorts of uh, issues, kidney stones, calcification of the kidneys. I think there has been one recorded case of a death from uh, vitamin D yeah. poisoning, but basically the poisoning comes from either excess blood levels or excess serum calcium as a result of, okay. of a huge amount of vitamin D. So basically there has never been a recorded case of elevated serum calcium below... 30,000 IU per day. So we're saying a couple of thousand, you can go all the way up to 30. Yeah, so as long as you're having less than 30,000 IU per day, then you would be, if anything developed, you'd be the only one. You'd be unique. Of all time. First one in the world. Okay, and then in terms of toxicity in blood concentration, there has been no recorded toxicity below 200 nanograms per milliliter Whoa. and we're talking about 40 to 60 okay so you've got you've got plenty of nanograms to play with there plenty of nanograms so we know we can go upwards of 10,000 between 10 and 30 with, with without real concern yes and I guess at times you might actually uh, bump it up you know like we said the, the cold and flu season uh, another good time to bump up your vitamin D Tom uh, while we're talking about it is yes. uh, suggested when you get on uh, planes if you're going to fly lots of bacteria uh, viruses on the plane. Obviously, yep. a lot of people crammed into a small space, uh, so it wouldn't hurt to load vitamin D a couple of days beforehand, and certainly to build up the immune system. And Definitely have plenty of vitamin D stored at the ready to uh, to combat any infection. Yeah. So basically, we're looking at getting a combination of vitamin D from sunlight, food, and supplementation. Yep. You can go up to. I mean, I I know you're going to do the whole ten thousand yeah. per day thing. Yeah. Basically, I've the supplement that I've got. I won't mention the brand because we tend no. not to mention brands yes. uh, on the show. Unless it's Clean Health brand, and yes. then we'll mention that quite a lot. And if you would like your brand mentioned on the program, maybe uh, contact our flying founder, Dan McDonald. Yes. Have your uh, direct debit details on the ready. Well, this is true, Tom. <laughs> but but um, the vitamin D supplement I have, it's a pharmaceutical-grade supplement. Yeah, each good quality. Ta- each tablet has 10,000 IUs. So per little tablet, yep, just gonna, easy. Just gonna put one of those down the hatch per day. Down the hatch, and it is worth noting that the uh, vitamin D three is the vitamin D that you actually do want to supplement. Vitamin D two, uh, they did used to prescribe that to elevate vitamin D status, but that has to be converted into the active form of vitamin D in the body. Yes. So, yeah, the D three is the one you want to uh, go for. And one more thing, mate. While the white lab coats are on, let's yep. chuck in the uh, disclaimer. Mm-hmm. Get a blood test first. Yeah, get a blood yeah. test. Uh, like we mentioned last week there with the blood chemistry, 
yeah, it certainly doesn't hurt to get your vitamin D status checked. However, it is something that a vitamin that, um, like we said, the general practice is to prescribe a low one to two thousand IU daily dosage just for a maintenance level. So, without saying you know categorically, there's going to be no con- you know, health concerns with it. Pretty safely do one to two thousand IU a day, but yeah, it wouldn't hurt to do run your blood chemistry just to double check. Okay, this is Under the Bar with Rawdon and Tom. You can send us an email to podcast at cleanhealth.com.au if you'd like to contribute to the program or have any suggestions about white lab coats or... We hear them on from time to time. Or training tips, a tip from the trenches. Tip from the trenches, we love that stuff. So we're going to talk about intraset pausing on the program today. It's an interesting little thing. So basically, while you're doing a repetition, you have opportunities to pause yeah you can pause between the concentric into the eccentric part of the movement yep you could pause then at the bottom of the eccentric as you go into the concentric movement yep or you could pause during the concentric movement or during the eccentric part of the movement yes a lot of concentric and eccentric going on for there for our mate. listeners that don't uh, know anything oh, about uh, tempos me. they're probably uh, switching off about now so yes. just lowering the weight and uh, the, the pressing of the weight back up so yeah pretty simple stuff so yeah I guess the we, you mentioned uh, Christian Tobito and uh, we thought this would be appropriate with the uh, intercept pauses because it has been uh, uh, shown to actually recruit more of those HTMUs or high threshold mode units the type 2B those those uh, awesome little fibers that are are most conducive to uh, hypertrophy for growing. Yes. They were the, the fibers that all the cool kids have, you know, 100 meter sprinters, yes. you know, they are chock full of uh, the, the high threshold monuments, the type 2B marathon runner. Not there's anything wrong with them. We love the marathon runners too, Tom. But yeah, generally a lot more of the type 1 type fibers. While we're talking about fibers quickly, the, the type 2A and the type B fibers, the ones that are the high threshold monument type fibers, you can actually take on the characteristics of type 1 so you can actually train like a an 100 meter sprinter could actually train to become an endurance athlete but the reverse is not true if you're yeah. born with a ton of type 1 fibers mm. wow yeah, well you're just very unlucky just slow twitch you won't have world-class legs but anyway off the yeah. beaten track there so Ball. coming back to it so yeah intercept pauses and if you think about your body will instinctively do it anyway Yes. When you're pressing, uh, say you're doing a bench press. Well, say you're doing a close. Well, was it close no, grip it or was a decline? Okay, say for our listeners, pretend you're on a decline bench, <laughs> and you're pressing. You know, low reps. So you hit. You're near your one RM, probably 80, 85 percent, punching some out for uh, Mr. Benoit, Andre. Yes. This is your fault. Anyway, and then you're roaring. You're the other side of the gym. You're getting some water, and then you hear this. Rodan, Rodan, <laughs> yell out from the other side of the gym and you look around it's like huh you rooster around and it's like I'm getting getting my, my, my water out of the, the, the cooler what do yeah, you want I'm not doing anything and anyway there's Tommy pinned under the bar yelling you know excuse me excuse me <laughs> to, to Talia look I just, I just it was very calm and I said you did. Talia can you go and get Rodan <laughs> I needed someone strong to help get it off me yes yes well look Tom if you had paused at the top of that previous rep yeah maybe okay. but anyway 
All jokes aside, Tom did actually get pinned down. He was pushing hard, uh, walking the walk, in the trenches, doing what he does. So it was good to see him pushing himself, like he always does every workout. But point being is, I was going to say, hey, if he didn't pause at the, uh, the top of the rep, so before you, you lowered the bar to the chest and pressed it back up again, then if you had have, you would have recruited more of the high threshold and exactly. more of those fibers that allow you to to synchronize and, and, and drive out of the hole and you would have lifted that bar yeah. and racked it nicely and you wouldn't have had to uh, quietly and calmly yes Talia can you get Rawdon for me and then pack the bar up with my <laughs> tail between my legs yes and, yeah. and it was and it was interesting you were after that just as, well, as a side note you actually I was there fluffing around mm. trying to warm up my leg workout yes. you know what I do foam roll putting off the inevitable starting yeah. the Milo such oh, yes. volume roostering roostering around good 40 five minutes before I actually started lifting but you did say after that because you gassed your nervous system and you obviously tried to lift it as much as you could yeah fought 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 yeah. fought nothing bang onto the chest Talia get it off and even then your nervous system would have been agitated keeping the bar off the chest and you said after that you were just gassed you were and then the subsequent days I think I spoke to you yeah. a few days later and you thought you said you've actually been Got quite depressed, depressed. yeah that like, night was the worst night's sleep that I've had for a long time I was exhausted <laughs> but I just could not because that nervous agitated. system was 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 yeah. so fried, and then the next, you know a few days later you're still you know dragging your heels, life's miserable. You I've know? never but really experienced that sort of neural fatigue before. Interesting. So, yeah, what wasn't pleasant. So the point we're getting at with intraset pauses, and and I was going to suggest that you know when we do do it instinctively, you'll see you punched out a few reps and you have one or two to go, then all of a sudden the client or the individual or we do we pause at lockout. Yes. Have pause there. Okay, and it might look like we're catching our breath, and maybe we are as well, but it's also instinctively because we know that when we do that, we can actually get another rep or That's two right. out. That's right. And well, so yeah. it allows that pause at the top where you're at the most advantageous part of the lift. So yes. the muscle's not under tension. It gives the muscle a time to rest. It gives the, the central nervous system a split second to recuperate and get yep. itself all together. Synchronize and refire. Exactly. Hence the greater recruitment of those fast twitch fibers. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. So if we if it's between a pushing, so say you're pushing the weight up, either a squat or, or a press, it is between the pushing and the lowering of the weight, or the concentric and the eccentric. Yep. So at lockout, yep. that's when it's advantageous yep. for the intraset pause. If it's flexion, so say you were doing a, a pull-up doing or something. Doing a pull-up, yep. So you lower yourself down eccentrically, so you've pulled yourself up to the bar, you're lowering, stretching the arms, stretching the lats out, and that portion at the bottom is when you would take that intraset pause, recruit, refire the, the nervous system, high HDMU, the high threshold modians will, will, everything will synchronize and boom, you fire up off the bottom and pull out another rep, another rep, yeah. another rep. So uh, those intraset pauses and, and cluster method uh, is a, is a, um, a spin on that. So using those intraset pauses in that five sets of uh, five singles uh, in the cluster method. So, uh, and look, that's from a, I guess from a strength adaptation rule and you can, obviously we're talking about pausing at, at your lockout yep. or at the bottom of a pull up recruit those uh, high yes, threshold yep. uh, motor units but then of course if you know hypertrophy w was a more of your game or you were trying to increase the time under tension of the muscle you could pause at a disadvantageous part of the movement pause yep. at the bottom of a bench press exactly at and the bottom of a squat and while you're mentioning that you would actually actively not try and pause at that advantageous position so yeah if hypertrophy is your goal all about keeping tension on the on the muscle 
fibre and destroying the fibre for as long as you possibly can if that is the, the um, training focus. And then those pauses would be, yeah, like at those disadvantaged positions would be much better to elevate the, the time under tension mm. and, and keep tension on the muscle. Uh, like you mentioned where the, the muscles are, the arm, limbs are at lockout yes. and there's less tension on the muscle for that. Uh, HTMU recruitment, but for hypertrophy, yeah, yeah. Uh, out the window. Constant tension. Con- constant tension, as much tension as you as you want. I guess also, while we're still on it, yep. if strength was then the goal, yep. to pause at the bottom of a bench press or at the bottom of a squat, it would take out the stretch shortening cycle yeah. of the movement. So basically what they call the um, myotatic reflex, reflex. So which is basically a, a contraction of the muscle because it's been in a stretch state. Yes. If you were to sit down at the bottom of your squat and pause and hold and hold and hold and hold and hold, then yeah. driving up out of that position where you have to actually fight against the inertia of the movement, yeah. much harder. very challenging. Very challenging, great for developing strength at that part of the range, but also uh, worth mentioning, two to three seconds I think it takes to take away that mitate reflex. Yeah. So even a one second pause for bigger movements, not really, uh, if you think about a back squat when we're building so much tension through the quads and through the glutes and, and calves and everything that's going to contribute out of the hole, you know, the longer the pause, the less likely any uh, reflex will kick yeah, in. Yeah, most yeah. reflex will kick in. So something to think about. Cool stuff there, Tom. Well. Wow. <laughs> Righto, mate. Okay. It's time to give something away. Have we thought about what we're going to call this segment? Mate, I think we're going to call it the wheel. <laughs> Fortune. <laughs> That's so original. I know. Well the first time you've ever heard it, I'm sure. The under, the, under bar, the bar wheel, wheel of fortune. fortune. Okay. Good. All no, right. that, that sounds fine. I mean, it is a big wheel. It, a huge wheel. Enormous Cam's got to get out of his chair and spin it. Yes. And basically, whatever number it lands on, that yeah. number subscriber wins the okay. Clean Health Podcast pack. Okay, okay. So I'm a listener. How yep. am I going to get on this damn wheel? I want to win the prize. What's the prize again, Tom? Well, the prize is a deluxe shaker. This is one of those shakers which has got a little... Oh, yeah, the compartments. Put compartments at the bottom which you can screw PCAA's off and have your powder way. in there and all your things. So, yep. boom. Clean Health Deluxe Shaker. Okay. Stainless steel water bottle. Okay, well, we know from the shout... You know you make me want to shout. We know no plastic water bottles. No, exactly. Uh, BPA-free, obviously, an exception. But, yeah, general rule of thumb, stainless steel. Can't go wrong. Great. No toxins. Uh, you get a drawstring gym bag. Okay. So you can sling your, like your straps and your, yep. your program and your stopwatch, yep, 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 which yep. you're going to use diligently in between your sets. Yes, Andre, have that all, Tom does. Yep, yep. Have, have that all wrapped up in your gym bag. And then okay. you get, this is a good one actually, a cooler bag, with ah. like a day pack, so you can stack all your meals, cause, which you diligently prepare yes, and take yes. with you, your four to five meals every day. So this is over the shoulder type job, it's yeah. got the strap on it. Sling nice. it over the shoulder and walk okay. away with that. So it's about 150 bucks worth of, worth of value of there, so it's not to be sneezed at. Yeah, good. Cool. It's a reasonable, right. reasonable price. So you would go to cleanhealth.com.au forward slash podcast, okay. enter your name and email address into the little box there and... Direct debit details. <laughs> yes. Throw those in. Chuck those in as well. Um, you got to be in it to win it. So that's, so that's how you get in it. So I guess anyone that's subscribed can potentially, uh, they, their number can be called out. So anyone that anyone? has uh, yep. subscribed already yep. or anyone does uh, over the next uh, whatever. However. So yeah, everyone yeah. everyone can play. Cam, are you going to subscribe, mate? Yeah, yeah, might as well. He might win it. We might, might see it. him next week with a, uh, a stainless clean health drink bowl, a shaker. He'll no. have his flat white. I think it's going to uh, be a flat white and a chicken snitty sanger. All right. Yeah. Old habits die hard. 
We tried. Righto, Cam. Grease the wheels, mate. Let's get ready to okay. spin this I'm gonna baby. I'm going to step to one side, Tom. Oh, Jesus. Okay. All right. Yeah. Oh, he gave that a bit of gusto. He did. <laughs> really? Had a go at that one. Okay. Starting to slow down. There's still got a little bit of juice in it. It's 90, 90, it's 7, number 98, Roy. 98, okay. Number 98. So who's, uh, have we got a... flick through facts to find that. Subscriber okay, number 98. Okay. Here's the list on this page. And, oh... Kaz Copeland. Kaz, Kaz. Copeland. Subscribe oh, number 98. She subscribed to uh, the Underbar list on the 23rd of September 2014. So last year. Okay. Well, it looks like anyone. Oh. oh. Well done, Kazzy. There we go. The whole of the cafe erupted in uh, yes. applause then. Very nice. Kaz Copeland. Kaz okay. Copeland. So she will get the inaugural Clean Health Podcast pack. Hundreds of dollars of value. Get in it to win it. Go you to cleanhealth.com.au forward slash podcast. Enter your name and details and you could be the next Kaz Copeland. You could. And it's very unusual, uh, Clean Health giving free things away. So yes. I would jump on I'll that jump before on it that. stops. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yes, you're listening to Under the Bar, the Clean Health podcast with Rawdon and Tom. Rawdon, as we say every week at some stage on the program, whatever you and I do discuss, these yep. are just the systems and the strategies that we've had some sort of exposure yeah. to down at Clean Health. In and the trenches. By no means do we suggest that our way is the only way to do things. Yep. And one of the things that we do continually find ourselves coming back to is uh, whoever the client, whatever the goal whatever the particular phase of training yep. or program that they're in, we always like to have some meat and nuts in, yeah. the, in there at some stage, some, some bigger movements with some lower reps yep. uh, in every sort of program, then you can build whatever you want around that. The bread and butter, Tom. In previous episodes, in the yep. last few weeks, we've had a couple of... Um, big names, Big Tom. names, the, the Milos Sarchevs of the world, John Meadows was yep. on here, and all these guys, that you know, their bread and butter is hypertrophy. And yep. whilst they do all love to lift heavy and move some metal they yeah. did stress the importance of time under tension yep. for hypertrophy lots of volume swelling. increasing the blood flow to the muscle really going for that cell swelling or, yeah. or sarcoplasmic hypertrophy is yep. sometimes it's referred to and so i guess in the interest of balance yep. uh, we thought we'd take a bit of a different slant today and get someone who's got a um, an equally valid perspective on hypertrophy mm. and our special guest will be christian thibodeau for those yeah. of you who uh, haven't heard of Christian, he's one of the most prolific contributors to Teen Nation. You've, yeah. I'm sure you probably read an article of his, even if you didn't know that he wrote it. He's yep. an extremely well-researched and credentialed strength coach, has written numerous books. One of these books is High Threshold Muscle Building. He wrote that back in 2007. And, back in uh, the day, Tom. This is the book that we'll uh, loosely base this interview around. Uh, yeah. I stress the term loosely because we, yep. we do tend to get a little bit sloppy with things from time well, to time. Well, who knows where it's going to go. Well, that's right. You never know. But we're going to talk to Christian about hypertrophy from, from his perspective, and it should be fascinating. Yep. So uh, without further ado, Christian, thank you very much for your time, mate, and welcome to the program. Glad to be on, guys. Excellent. So just to give us a bit of a, uh, as we like to do with all our guests, Christian, to get a bit of a background as to uh, what made you the coach that you are. If you could give us a bit of a spin on, I guess, how you got started in the industry. And obviously your your early days were focused on athletic performance and then you, you dipped your toes in the murky world of bodybuilding and physique preparation. And then you hey, kind of... not so murky. That's a lovely world, Tom. <laughs> come full circle and, and 
blended the philosophies to a degree. So uh, how did you get started, mate, and um, just an overview of your career? Well, to this day, I still have, even though I train uh, athletes from 27 different sports, uh, as well as about competitive bodybuilders, figure athletes, and, and I still have a problem actually calling me a coach, even though I've coached like probably uh, over 2,000 people. Uh, I, I still see myself as the same kid I was when I first picked up a barbell. Uh, when I was like that, that out of shape kid that desperately wanted to be an athlete, you know, it's uh, ever since I can remember, I was probably like five or six. I wanted to be like a great athlete, born with the lousiest genetic you'll ever find me, skinny, fat, <laughs> short. So uh, I really had. Hey, we have something in common. I started training at, at like nine years old, I think. I mean, I was doing. Uh, like body weight squat while watching TV and whatnot, abdominals, uh, crunches and push-ups and stuff like that. Uh, and then that eventually led to more serious training. But uh, I always loved training for some odd reason. Now, um, as far as my athletic career, if you want to call it that, because as somebody who has pretty lousy genetic, I had great work ethic, but I was pretty bad at everything I've ever tried. So, <laughs> American football. Yes. Now, in high school, I was pretty decent because I was the only guy who actually lifted weights. So that gave me an advantage. But yeah. When I got to college, then all the guys were just as strong as I was, and I wasn't able to like make up for my lack of talent. So I figured, well, you know, I, I'm not that much of an actual athlete. So I'm gonna look for something I can be good at or at least enjoy. Mm. So was to me a, a, a lifting sport and it turned out to be Olympic weightlifting. I, I don't know why, it just appealed to me and again, uh, I was a really bad lifter, <laughs> a really bad technical lifter, yeah. very strong because I outworked everybody, uh, but my ratio in my competitive lifts and strength lift was way off. Uh, because I had no coaching, uh, I tried to learn by myself, but there was like there was no internet back then, the YouTubes didn't exist, mm -hmm. you know, so I, I had no way of like, learning how to lift. Uh, so I, I still put up decent weight, but it was really uh, like not precise with my technique and not up to the strength I had. So that was actually frustrating to me because you know, I really trained hard. One summer I remember, uh, I went to train in Montreal, which is about two hours away from where I lived. And every single day I would drive back and forth to Montreal to train with uh, the first coach I, I ever had there. I would train two two-hour sessions a day and I said, well, this is going to make me a great Olympic weightlifter. Well, it only just made me weaker because I could not handle the volume and the traveling and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So I said, well, if that guy cannot turn me into a great Olympic weightlifter despite the, the squat I had in front, squat I had, then nobody can. So I just decided, well, the heck with it, I, I, I'll stop. I stopped training for it. Hmm. So I decided to go for powerlifting and I, I tore my pec. So that's when I decided, well, I can't lift heavy for a while, so I'll just get leaner. So that's yep. why, that, that's when I first got lean and got into bodybuilding eventually. So that, that's my athletic background. Now, as mm -hmm. far as coaching goes, uh, it, it all started uh, when I was training hockey players for Olympic weightlifting. And eventually it, it grew into uh, coaching them for the full strength program. And then eventually, like having other athletes, being the head coach of a strength a sports study school, uh, that gave me the confidence to write my first book, 
that first book led me to the confidence to submit articles to T Nation and being seen on T Nation and having a book gave me a job in the US coaching at the Center for Pro Hockey Team. Then I got married, got back to Canada and that's pretty much how it goes right now. So right now I would say that I'm still working with athletes but it's mostly, and people will get a laugh out of this, it's mostly CrossFit athletes and mm. bodybuilders which are probably the like drastic opposite of one, of one another but these are my two main clientele right now yeah yeah interesting and so obviously christian then if you're working with uh, bodybuilders hypertrophy is one of the things that you need to be going for and i guess that's what rawden and i wouldn't mind focusing on today and there's heaps <laughs> of things we could talk to you about but hypertrophy would be interesting so in your book high threshold muscle building you talk about the importance of tapping into high threshold motor unit and, mm. and is that muscle fiber being the the key quality in developing strength and hypertrophy so if you could just explain in layman's terms for our listeners exactly what a high threshold motor unit is well high threshold motor unit simply is like a, a more savant term so that i can sound smart instead of just <laughs> yes. Like yes yeah we do that occasionally we do a lot of that it's uh, we yes. use it as a smoke screen mm, mm. Now, it basically means the fast twitch fibers, the fibers that are the strongest, that are the most powerful, and also are the most prone to increasing their size. So they have a much, much greater potential for actual hypertrophy of the muscle structure than the other muscle fibers you have. Mm. And they're also yep. the strongest. However, they don't have much endurance. They, they don't have much resiliency. So they, they, they gas out pretty fast, but they, they have a lot of horsepower. Mm. So to me, that is, these are the fibers that make up like explosive, muscular, uh, lean athletes. Because one thing I've noticed, uh, you know, again, I've coached 20 athletes from 27 different sports, is that the most explosive athletes also tend to be the most muscular and the leanest. Even if they don't necessarily try to be like super muscular and lean, those who are naturally more explosive tend to be that way and they gain muscle more easily normally. Mm. Do you find that's a function of their training or of their genetics? Now, I would say that it's probably in many cases they have the physique they have despite of their training, not because of their training. Now, I'll give you an example. Uh, I trained at one, one time this, this pro football player, I won't name names, but he's still playing. The guy was an all-pro running back, like great athlete, six mm-hmm. foot two, 200, well, 105 kilos, like 7% body fat. Mm. And the guy actually, like all he did was push up and some sprints. He, would, he, he could come into the gym at any days of the week and bench press 160 kilos for reps, and he never trained. So yeah. he didn't get that physique from his training. Uh, obviously, he was, he was an exception, but the fact is that if you look at many of the great physique, yes, their training probably have something to do with it, but it, it's not, not because you're training like ex-sprinter, you're going to look like the sprinter. However, sports give clues. I mean, if all the athletes doing a specific type of training get a specific look to them, some might be bigger than others, but they still have that same look, well, it gives you a clue that this type of training could lead to a physique that's looking like, like the athletes. You might not have the genetic to like push it to the same level they did, but you can have the same package, albeit in a, maybe a smaller portion. Like you might not look like an NFL linebacker at uh, 110 kilos, 
of lean muscle, but you might have the same look at uh, 85 kilos. But if you use the same training methods, you can have that same look, just not to the same extent. So when you are programming for bodybuilders, do you emphasize the high threshold muscle building? Is Are you still primarily trying to stimulate the type 2 uh, fibers and then do you do any any volume type work as well or, or do you exclusively... Um, I do a combination of both, but one thing I always say, this is a special, I'm actually working on an article on that subject, is with my competitive physique athletes, either bodybuilders, figure girls or any type of physique sport, I always tell them that the absolute most important thing to shoot for during a contest prep is to main, at least maintain your strength level on the big basic lifts. Yeah. We might not go heavy on every single lift we do, but I want you to strive to maintain the same level of strength on your big basic movement. Because to me, not losing strength on those exercises is the best insurance that you're not losing muscle mass while dieting down. I think one of the biggest mistakes people make when dieting down for a show is like they drop the heavy stuff, they only do pump work, superset, yep. and I can, I can tell you exactly why they do that. It's for three reasons. Uh, the first reason is is bro science. I mean, <laughs> you think well, you, you have to like do high reps to cut a muscle. We all know that's bullshit completely. Uh, the second reason is that they are insecure, right? When you when you diet down for a contest, what happens? You cut your calories, right? You cut your carbs. Yep. Your muscles feel flatter, right? You, mm. you retain less water. You feel small. What do you want when you get into the gym? You want to feel that pump so you to secure yourself that you have the muscle, that you didn't lose anything, mm. right? Mm. So what you do, you, like, you move on to isolation exercises, and then you do tons of sets, super sets, pump work, just feel those muscles that you haven't felt all day because they were flat. So that, that's reinsurance because mm. you're not sure that you're maintaining a muscle mass. But the funny thing is that the methods that actually you are using to convince yourself that you're not losing any muscle are methods that might actually lead to losing muscle if you don't yeah. do the strength. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so that, that's very funny. And the, the, the other reason is that people often see well I'm gonna do higher reps shorter rest because I want to burn more calories well you don't use lifting to lose fat mm. you lose either energy systems work cardio conditioning and diet to lose fat Mus uh, lifting weights is there to build muscle or at least maintain muscle when you're getting in shape yeah yeah 100% agree with you there Christian and and that's one of the things I I think it's really important for the client to understand that as well like when I prep guys into shows because that's my background as well I have uh, worked with physique athletes and um, bodybuilders but I, I it's really simple I like to keep the, as they get depleted I like to keep things really simple when they're doing calorie restriction uh, or, or cardiovascular work or energy system work like you said it's we're going for fat loss and then whenever they're in the gym uh, lifting weights they're maintaining muscle and I guess lifting as heavy as they can like you just explained and they seem to get it, and uh, the guys that yeah. I do put the stage, and they understand it. Muscle. You're not going to add muscle or tons of it when dieting down for a show, right? No. So what point is there to add millions of exercises? You're not going to stimulate anything. Just do the big basics uh, to make sure that you maintain what you have. You have a lowered capacity to handle training stress because yep. of the lowered calories. You're fatiguing and stuff like that. So don't do more. You, you actually can't can't do more do less but of the right thing 
And, and the other point, I guess, like my take on that is, and I'd like to hear your thoughts, Christian, is, well, basically, like you said, we're bringing calories down and we need to keep protein high to maintain muscle. We need some fats in there for hormonally and carbohydrates are the macronutrient that we can actually chop down and the guys can still perform and girls can still perform. But my take on it is you're giving them volume work and there's no actual fuel for the volume work there's no carbohydrates there's no stored glycogen so like you said all you're doing is pretty much breaking muscle down to fuel the workout you know their energy levels are poor whereas nervous system work or like you said uh you know heavy heavy myofibular type training that i find they can maintain that right into the show to a degree yeah so i mean what uh, two of my clients uh, competed last year one actually had his PR on a bench press two weeks prior to a show. Oh, really? And one of my figure girl uh, was actually getting squat PR in the five rep range uh, right until like 10 days before the show. Awesome. So I really believe that a lot of people, when they diet down for a show, they actually convince their, themselves that they will lose strength. Mm. And they sabotage their whole progression because they think it's normal to feel weak. They think it's normal to lift, le- uh, lift less weight. You just have to fight for it. I mean, you just have to work hard and you can totally maintain the strength. Yeah, mm. uh, I'll jump in there also while, you, while you're talking about the, the, the doubt. You know, they, they, they sort of doubt themselves and they assume they're gonna lose strength. I think I've heard you on, on a YouTube clip, a webinar you did, you were speaking about the number one issue uh, for a, a progress of a, of a client or an individual is is that doubt and that that not believing in the coach uh, 100%. As soon as they they sort of doubt themselves or you know self doubt or, or doubt in their coach, that's when their progress you know comes apart and and, and things don't happen like they should. But that that self doubt really uh, you know prevents a lot of people from presenting the best uh, physique they can on stage or photo shoot or whatever they're doing. You know, we, we all know physique athletes who change coaches like I think. Yeah. I mean, I know plenty of girls, especially girls, uh, it's just been my observation that... <laughs> careful, 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 Christian. Christian. <laughs> I know, no, yeah. Uh, I'm in Canada, so your, your listeners might not like be able to read. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's, a, it's a fact, though, that like, uh, girls or, or guys, I mean, you have plenty of athletes who might like change coach every year. They mm-hmm. don't get the result they want. It's because of the coach. But uh, let, let's be honest, all right? Physique competitors, and, and I've been one of them, uh, I, and I will admit that I'm like that, or at least I was like that, yeah. have uh, profound self-image or self-doubt issues. Yeah. They, they lack self-confidence. That's oftentimes why they want uh, to have that great physique. Uh, but if you lack self-confidence, you need the coach to be there for you to like artificially increase your confidence. When the athlete starts doubting the coach, then uh, there's no way it's going to work. So, uh, the, the coach-athlete relationship is something that coaches must really work hard to establish and maintain. It's not an, an athlete, especially a physique athlete, it's not just giving a program and a diet. It's, it, it's really a lot of work. So that's why when I see coaches that work with like a hundred clients prepping for contests, you know, it, it raises a red flag for me. When I follow somebody for a physique competition, normally I don't have more than four people in a year mm-hmm. or at the same time because it, it's a lot of work. Sometimes I lose sleep you know, why is he not progressing like I want and I, I'm torturing myself, what, what are the solutions? It's a lot of stress, so there's no way I can take 10, let, let alone 
100. Mm. So, Christian, how do you then develop and foster that coach-client relationship? Is it through educating your clients or how do you go about building that trust? Well, sadly for my marriage, I'm much better with women than I would guys. So, <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I think that I have a client, like an average Joe client who um, he's a realtor, a guy who sells houses. And he told me, he's the, the probably the best guy in his business in the whole province. And what he tells me his secret is, and it's funny because I'm the same way with my athletes, is that right away when he meets somebody, he knows what kind of approach like, you will need to use with that person just from yeah. the first five minutes. And I'm the same one because no athlete is exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, you have to make them feel confident in you. And I think that the worst thing you can do is try to sound like a know-it-all. I mean, many coaches, they want to seduce clients by showing them how much they know. That, that To me, that's the stupidest thing to do. I mean, it's not about you, it's not about what you know, it's, what, it's about your client and what you can do for them. And they need to feel that. They need to feel that when they're in your office or in the gym with you, they are the most important person in the universe, at least yeah. for that moment. Yeah. Uh, that, that's how you grow that relationship. So uh, when I see a coach, for example, they write down like the most complex training program in the history of mankind. I mean, you need a PhD just to be able to read the title page. Mm. The problem, they, they, you want to show the client that he knows all these cool training methods, right? Mm. Uh, but the thing is, the client will just be overwhelmed. It, it won't actually work because the program is designed to show the client how much the trainers know, yes. the trainer knows, not to pick the best method to get the client's result. The only yeah. thing that matter is getting the client's result. Yeah. And you have, and also, you have to be confident in yourself. Because if you doubt yourself as a coach, the athlete will perceive it. And yeah. you can't now, you, know, you could, 10 years ago, you could bullshit clients. Yeah. You could tell them anything just like to convince them. But the problem with now with the internet is that they can easily find if you're telling them anything that, that's not true. Yes. So, so, so it's really important to be totally honest with your, with your, with your client. Share experiences. I mean, that's why I, I like to say that leaders lead from the front, not from the back. And, and you know, the fact that I was bad at pretty much everything I did, athletic-wise, um, actually made me suffer, made me like frustrated. I know how it feels not to succeed. I know it, how it feels how to succeed. I know why it feels to feel bad. Yeah. So when a client has a problem, now I share my personal experience. I have zero filter. Yeah, mm. I will tell anything to anybody. I, I don't have any restriction. Uh, sometimes that can be problematic, but you know, I, I don't hold anything back. I mean, I want to help my client. So what if I was bulimic when I was a kid? I tell them the experience. I once gained 27 pounds in six hours. I tell them that story. I once ate 25 burgers. I tell them that story. I, I picked up garbage eat it when dieting for a contest. I tell them that story, I don't care. Because they know I'm human and they know that whatever they're feeling, I felt worse. And I, I lived through it and I succeeded. Definitely. So that's another way to like get a good relationship with your client. They will trust you if you're if you are honest with them and if you truly care about them. Yeah. It's an awesome point you make there and, and the funny thing like I've worked uh, in different places 
and what amuses me is you know a colleague will do a um, you know a, a, some sort of course or you know go away and, and, and upskill themselves and they come back and then you know completely change the way they're training all their clients and they'll start using TRX cables and this and that and it's sort of like well for firstly that, that says what you're doing before you didn't believe in it so you have self-doubt yourself but it, it just looks um, you know really fad fad training it's uh like by all means you know have that add that to your toolbox and, and use it to some degree but to completely restructure you do your training it um yeah it's pretty yeah, weird i think the exact same thing with crossfit i mean i had a, a friend of mine who was working at that gym and they sent one of their coach the one that was teaching them olympic lift he had no olympic lifting background but he went to her certification yeah uh, next or whatever and then he came back the first thing he said to everybody in, in his lifting class is, all right, forget everything we saw up to this point. We're starting from zero. I mean, hello, confidence. I mean, so yeah. I've just wasted like 12 weeks of my life listening to you. Why should I listen now? Yes. It's not. It, it's good to learn new things. I mean, I love new things. I will never stop learning. I want to know all the methods that can make a muscle grow and progress and gain strength. I want to know all the training methods, what they do. I mean, I did gymnastic ring for, uh, exclusively for six months just because I wanted to know how it felt and what they could do to the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't mean that I would put gymnastic rings in all of my clients' tra- training, that it was stopping bench pressing and doing dips with ring. Yeah, yeah. might include that stuff. But for my own personal knowledge, I, I like to try them. But you have to be confident enough in your own method to just like stick with your guns and just gradually try new things. And when yes. you know they work, you can just integrate them in your toolbox. Yes. Sticking with your method then, Christian, we've just established that these high threshold motor units are the most prone the cool to, ones. to hypertrophy. So how do you specifically go about targeting these for your clients? What kind of training systems do you use? How do we tap into them? Fairly easy when you think about it. These fibers are built for strength and power and so obviously the, the, to stimulate them you need a heavy load. I mean from experience it, it, the magic starts to happen at 80% of your maximum. So and for muscle mass that 80 to 85% range is just about the sweet spot. I mean you don't need to go power lifting heavy to get maximum uh, high threshold hypertrophy. In fact it's probably suboptimal. The, the low reps like the sets of 1, 2 and 3 reps are useful to learn to recruit fast fibers. And the better you are at recruiting them, the more you'll be able to make them grow in the future. I I see maximal lifting, like 90, 95%, 100%, as an investment in your future gains. Because you're programming your body to be able to recruit those fibers better. Whereas the actual growth of those fibers will occur mostly in the three to six rep range okay like functional hyper yeah uh, and while we are talking about that why don't we sort of slip into the uh, nutrition just an overview of, of your thoughts on that yeah we have spoken to Milos Sachev John Meadows Mountain Dog and they like to use a lot of uh, pre interim post supplementation carbohydrates bring up insulin levels uh, hyperemia, uh, Milos likes to call it, increased blood flow, taking advantage of that. If we are working more of the functional hypertrophy, more of the myofibular fast twitch type fibers, do carbohydrates play such a significant role or are you looking more at things like uh, to stimulate the nervous system like caffeine, tyrosine, stuff like that? 
I, I don't. I really don't like stimulants. I don't use stimulants. Well, and and I don't have my athletes take them. All my CrossFit athletes, for example, I always take them out uh, off of their what they call pre-wad, which is only like pre-workout drinks. Yep. Uh, so many bad things can happen with that. I mean, I'll just go like quickly through it. I mean, uh, what these stimulants do is that they force your adrenal glands to overproduce adrenaline and noradrenaline, right? So, so they put you like in that hyper fight or flight state. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so, so what happens is that it's cool, you have energy and stuff like that, but you are, it's like you're asking the worker of a factory to work double overtime every single day, right? It, it, that's cool, he produces more, he'll make more money, he'll be happy, but eventually he'll burn out and he won't be able to produce and respond to your, or your command anymore. Yep. Same thing with the adrenal glands. If you always overstimulate them and force them to produce much more adrenaline than they are designed to, eventually they, they will panic. Bad choice of word. So two things can happen. Either they become desensitized to the signal to produce adrenaline, so it will become harder and harder to produce it, or they can become fatigued, adrenal fatigue. So they actually stop producing adrenaline. And when you produce less adrenaline or you don't produce any, what happens? Well, you still need the fuel, right? So adrenaline, one of the one of its function is to mobilize energy resources for your fight or your flight. So they, they, they allows you to, to release fat and release uh, glycogen into the bloodstream to use for fuel, right? Mm -hmm. yep. So uh, that function can actually be done by another hormone. What hormone is that? Cortisol. So oh, yes. when the body cannot produce adrenaline to an optimal level to, to allow you to have fuel for your workout, what happens? You jack up your cortisol release so that you can still have that energy. And we all know the bad things that can happen when you try to elevate cortisol. I mean, yep. First of all, obviously it can be catabolic to muscle tissue. Uh, second of all, it can really slow down the rate of recovery. But also, I mean, most people don't know that, but cortisol and testosterone are built from the same raw material, which is pregnenolone. So if you overproduce cortisol, what happens? you have much less raw material available to fabricate testosterone. Mm. So your testosterone level will go down. So what happens now, you are, your catabolic hormones are elevated, your anabolic hormones are down. Obviously, that, that takes a while to happen, right? But yeah. it, it can still happen if you just chronically overstimulate the adrenal glands. So, so what happens is that you will lose muscle, you'll, you'll get fatter, you'll have less energy, and your libido will be down. Not, not a good mix. Not a good one. Definitely. So that's why I don't like stimulants. Right? Once in a while, if you like, you like, you really need a kick in the in, in the nuts, then maybe. But like, not more than once a week or something like. That. Not, not certainly not at every before every workout. Yeah, yeah. So, so th that takes care of, of the stimulant. Uh, however, though, I, I am pro the supplements that increase neurotransmitter uh, levels as well as increases blood flow to the brain. I mean, uh, things like uh, tyrosine, like you mentioned earlier, that, that's a pretty good stimulant that influence uh, the production of neurotransmitters. Um, these are good products and they, they are non-stimulant, but they, by increasing the amount of uh, neurotransmitter your brain have, you can recruit more fibers, you're in a better mood, you're more focused, uh, okay. you're less, you feel the effect of fatigue less because that's one thing, right? When you mentally fatigue, everything feels harder. I mean, this, if you might be an eight 
on the fatigue scale. Uh, and, and when you get tired because of your workout, it, you will feel like a 10. Whereas if your nervous system is firing on all cylinders, you might feel like a five, even though you're the same level. Excellent. So perception of fatigue and perception of what your body can do is greatly affected by the state of your nervous system and your transmitters. Okay, on that note then, I mentioned nutrition and carbohydrates. Obviously, not for our listeners, carbohydrates will influence serotonin levels. Not good for the uh, high TMU recruitment. But um, the then would you, along the, the lines of protein and fats, red meat, where there is higher tyrosine, creatine, stuff like that, um, are you looking at more, less carbohydrates, more protein, fats before you have these types of workouts where you're trying to recruit the type 2B or high threshold motor units? Well, I'll tell you that I have my best result. I've had my best results uh, while taking in carbs and protein prior to a workout. I mean, uh, the, the product I use is plasma by uh, by Biotest, and Meadows used that also before. And obviously, I don't use the same level of carbohydrates as John does. Yep. Uh, back then, I remember John was having five servings of plasma which is about 250 grams of carbs prior to the training and during training <laughs> okay let me just write yeah. this down i should have 250 grams of carbs <laughs> pre-training got it next yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but if that, i get fat i know where you live canada i'm coming for you but personally what i did was i i i, I would take in less uh, less of the carbs or less serving of plasma and i would have a more uh casein hydrolysate uh, which would boost the protein content, uh, but I still want uh, like a, a, some amount of carbs just to increase uh, amino acid transport into the muscle. Because even though I'm doing high threshold work, yep. you're still bringing blood into the muscle. It's not creating the same uh, swelling as with hypertrophy, pure hypertrophy training, yep. but you're still bringing blood into that muscle, and you want that blood to be preloaded with amino acids okay. to okay. increase. Uh, hypertrophy and response and recovery and obviously you have insulin independent uh, means of transporting amino acids inside the muscle but if you combine that with insulin dependent mechanism you have a much greater amino acid uptake by the muscle so I still want that tiny bit of insulin response prior to the workout to facilitate the entry of amino acids in the muscle uh, I don't personally believe in, in post-workout, well, that's not true. In post-workout, carbs can work, but they don't work optimally for the, for, uh, because of adrenaline or adrenaline. Because these hormones will actually antagonize insulin. They, they, they decrease the amount of insulin that's released from ingesting your carbs until it's back down to normal level. So the carbs you use post-workout will actually stimulate much less insulin than uh, if you take them pre-workout. So it will actually take longer to resynthesize glycogen. Now, I prefer to preload the body so you don't have to recharge it afterwards. Ah, okay. Excellent, excellent. So you mentioned you have the hydrolyzed casein. You could also have um, you know, anything with the dry tie uh, dye or tripeptides like the Pepto Pro or essential aminos, BCAs, that type of stuff with your carbs pre-workout? Well, my, my stand, the product I use is uh, essentially dientripeptides of casein hydrolysate. Uh, and th these peptides are a lot, they're superior to anything you can have uh, because they're absorbed and transported much faster than anything. Uh, BCAs, yeah, 
I'm not a huge fan, and I'm not a huge fan of essential amino acids like John is, yeah. because yes, they, they, they do stimulate like mTOR and increases the, pro increases the process of activating protein synthesis, but if you don't have the full amino acid profile in your bloodstream in, in, in sufficient levels, and then you won't maximize hypertrophy from your, from your training. Because you want, when you train, no, let's face it, when you're training, it's the only time in your life where you can actually decide exactly where the protein you have in your body is going. Yeah. So mm -hmm. when you're training, you want as much of those amino acids in you. So And you want the complete profile because you won't be able to build muscle if you don't have the required amino acids. So, so to me, that's why I like to have that complete protein in there to maximize growth good stuff christian and while we're before we move on from this just throw around a few numbers uh roughly between what and what grams of uh carbs pre and then how much of the die and try peptides do you like to throw in and do you have them during as well are you having a carb well, I, I normally have like half uh half of them like 20 30 minutes prior 20 minutes uh, and then half during the workout i want it to be finished uh, at about the midpoint of the workout. Okay. Uh, normally I take in, uh, it's a, a roughly I would say 45 to 60 grams of, of carbs, uh, which is uh, mostly uh, uh, highly brain cyclic dextrins. Um, and the, um, the protein, it's around, I wanna say about 60, 60 grams also. Uh, yep. while, so it's like a one-to-one -one ratio, whereas John, I think he uses more like a four to one ratio or something. I actually got some of that uh, when we spoke to Meadows there the other week. He was raving about the the insulin response uh, from the highly branched cyclic dextrin, how it, uh, it doesn't spike, how it sort of comes up and just stays nicely elevated uh, mm -hmm. while you're sipping it. And um, I chased some of that up and uh, a lot better uh, gastric uh, emptying, like it didn't seem, because the Vitago uh, and other carbohydrates seemed to bloat me a little bit, but it was really... No, you don't bloat at all, that's exactly it. And it's funny because, you know, Ali uh, Brunch dextrins actually help mobilize and use fat for fuel. So, you know, in Japan, I don't know if it's Coke or Pepsi, they actually commercialized uh, a soda made with cyclic dextrins and sold it as a fat loss soda. Oh, really? <laughs> I was honest. Awesome. There's, some, there's some research showing that uh, cyclic dextrin can actually increase either mobilization or utilization mm -hmm. of fat. It might not get you fatter because it's used ready for energy, but it, it might actually help you mobilize more energy. Yeah. Awesome. Just while we're on the supplements, one last one, Christian. You mentioned the importance of maintaining uh, adrenal health. For those of us listening who have been using uh, or having coffee or caffeine or stimulants pre-workout for a long time, have you got any tricks up your sleeve for actually replenishing the adrenals and maintaining adrenal health? Uh, just, just give me one second, if you, if, just so I can get the ingredient list. Okay. Just go. <laughs> All right. Yo. Well, and that, that's actually a situation that, that often happens to my athletes. Again, I work a lot with CrossFit athletes who are dependent on the pre-workout. Yeah. Some bodybuilders too, but because they don't require the same energy output, it's not as bad. So, uh, what I, obviously, I don't want people to cut down the stimulants like cold because it's going to be really, really hard. So, I like to re gradually replace 
the, the, the stimulants by uh, uh, formulas to increase neurotransmitter, as I, as I mentioned. Uh, the product I use personally, again, by Biotest Brain Candy, uh, which, uh, which includes acetyl-L-carnitine, yep. tyrosine, yep. Uh, choline, uh, DMAE, and stuff like that, uh, theanine, some caffeine also, but like small amount. Uh, you have many other products that have a positive effect on, on the nervous system. And what I do is that I gradually replace the pre-workout by the brain candy, uh, so they don't feel a crash. I mean, yeah. they don't have the mm -hmm. same like stimulation, like the like the almost shaking jitteriness that they have with the, the pre-workout, but they don't crash because if they stop cold, they crash. So I might start like one day you take your pre your pre-workout, the next day you take brain candy, yeah. uh, or another. Uh, then the next day you will take. Again, your pre-wad, then the next workout, you go with brain candy. And eventually, you move on to one pre-workout day and then two brain candy days and stuff like that. So you gradually phase it out. Yep. Uh, so you can keep it like once a week for one of the most important workouts. Or even you can drop it all together. It's, it's probably for the best. I mean, you'll find that you don't need it in most cases. Exactly. Oh, but uh, yeah, uh, another supplement, by the way, that... Or neural health and neural performance that I really, really, really like personally is uh, Alpha GPC. I yeah, forget yeah. about, I forget about it. That, that, in my own personal case, uh, nothing works like that to increase my strength. Awesome. All right, Alpha GPC. All right, uh, and while we're talking about supplements, why don't we just touch on your general supplementation, like fish oils, multi stuff like that? Do you like magnesium in the evening, zinc, morning, that type of stuff? I'm really not like a huge supplement guy, even though I, I work for a supplement company. And, uh, to me, the things you have to cover first, the, first, the most important thing in my opinion, if you're training hard, is the peri-workout supplementation. I mean, what you take in pre-workout and post and during workout. I mean, this is your priority if you want to build muscle mass and strength. And that's, everybody sh should be like focusing on that first. Uh, and be honest, then you go for health, so it's fish oil, I use uh, plenty of fish oil, uh, and the other uh, supplement I use for health personally is I really use high doses of curcumin. Ah yes, the curcumin, the curcumin. is that the, we actually uh, did a little bit of piece on that, it has to be with piperin is it or? And, and also I, I, I use it along with the fish oil because it needs fat to be properly absorbed. Ah yes. Okay. Uh, I believe that curcumin is actually superior to fish oil as a health-promoting supplement. Yeah, I think yeah. it's more complete. As an anti-inflammatory? Exactly. Antioxidant. Exactly. Yeah. It actually helps with fat loss. It helps yeah. with digestive system health. Uh, personally, I mean, uh, I have like some uh, health issues. I have like, kidney issues. And it's been shown to uh, really help with the condition I have and actually can reverse it. So that's why I use high doses of it, and it, it really good. It's really good for uh, joint pain, tendon relief, and stuff. Like that. And really, really, you know, when people think about anti-inflammatory, they think about uh, like pain and Tylenol and stuff like that. But really, inflammation is not just in your muscles and tendons. Inflammation is in all your body, in your bloodstream, in your heart, everything. And I really, honestly believe in fat cells. I honestly believe that systemic inflammation is one of the main reasons that people lack progress either in muscle gain, strength gain, or fat loss. Mm, okay. I mean, the more inflamed your body is, the less 
it will be the less er, lesser efficient it will be with any task or any any metabolic process yeah. it has to do. Yes, so I mean, I, I guess the acute inflammation that we get from training, the muscle soreness and, and joint pain that you talk about is we feel that every day, and there's things we can do about it. But you're right, it's that chronic inflammation that just goes unseen for so long, which like, is the the real issue. Like the chronic cortisol, Tom. That's right. It's nasty yeah. stuff. The chronic stuff. And that's why I always often say that uh, curcumin is. Uh, the new fish oil because if you go to PubMed and you, you, you search fish oil and any illness you can think of or physical condition you'll find studies showing that fish oil has an effect on it and I think curcumin is going into that direction yeah. and it will probably surpass fish oil as a health promoting supplement and also the, the, the good thing with curcumin compared to fish oil is that it's really really hard to find a quality fish oil and yes. even if you buy like a Okay, okay, let's say you order for a, from a, from a, on the internet or you go to a store. I mean, let's say that the fish oil has been put in the fridge. I mean, it, it yeah. could be at room temperature for six months or all, you know, and it's like halfway de- degraded. Yeah. So it's really hard to find a quality, but, but curcumin doesn't have that problem. Yeah. It's my favorite supplement beside Perio Workout Nutrition. All right, Alpha GPC and uh, a couple of curcumin before you train. I like it. Yeah. Christian, uh, we've got a actually a question that one of our listeners has emailed in and, and asked if we could ask you if we've got the time. Uh, this is from Michael. He just wants to know what routine would you recommend for someone with high calves and a long Achilles tendon, or is it just simply a case of uh, getting plastic surgery? <laughs> yeah. What do you mean for, for growing the calves? Yeah, just yeah. just getting some uh, some aesthetics around the calf area. Some action down yeah. there. It's funny because. That's an answer I, I always get, and I'll, I'll be brutally, I mean, I, I will give him an answer of what I think he should do, but I'll give you my honest answer first. Yes. With anybody I've ever trained, I never trained Cav except for one guy. Yeah. And it because he really wanted to, even though he had great calves. You know, I think that calves are really genetic. I mean, there are some things you can do to make it better. You, know, you can probably grow like an inch or an inch and a half over your career, but yeah. the, the, the calf has the lowest trainability of all the human muscles. Yeah. So it's not to say that you can't do anything about it, but personally, I, I've never like felt the need to do it with most of my clients. But, so uh, as far as I mean, what you can do, obviously a long tendon uh, like really drastically decreases the capacity to build the muscle, but you can still make do with what you have and, uh, and, and do the best you can. First of all, let's think about it. Let, let's think group of people, either athletes or general population, who has the best calf, calves as a group? Uh, well, it would probably be the bodybuilding community, really. Yeah, but if you take those bodybuilders out, if you look at the normal people, it's the obese crowd. Right. Yes, yes, if, true. If you're well, really obese, you're going to have huge calves. So my answer is just get fat. No, it's not the answer. <laughs> uh, it's because they, the calves, to grow, they need to Volume. receive a long stimulation constant. So yeah. when you're obese, your calves have to work constantly and constantly and constantly just to propel yourself and, mm. and also prevent you from falling over. Yeah. Uh, so the calves <laughs> do need a lot of stimulus. And I think that loaded work uh, frequent loaded work is important. I, I believe that the best exercise that I like to do uh, to stimulate the calves is, you know, pushing the prowler. 
mean, really uh -huh. heavy roller pushes. Yeah. Uh, and the one guy I use, I, I trained calves. Uh, we actually did that. It, we supersetted uh, standing calf raise, uh, then the prowler pushing very heavy, and seated calves raise. That was in one Ooh, like one okay. giant set. Not bad. Uh, when we, we start with the standing because we use more weight and it targets uh, more of the fast switch fibers. Yep. Then we go to the prowler pushing, which keeps the, the blood pumping into the calf. So yeah, and you actually stretch it so you can actually make it grow a bit better. You want more blood in there. Then yeah. you finish with the seated version, which uh, works more of the soleus, which is slow twitch because at the end you fatigue so that muscle can still work. Right. Uh, and also then, that, so that's the super set I would recommend. That's an exclusive. Yeah, well, you heard it first, from, heard it first. from Fibs. Touch of the Thibodeaux. Touch of the Thibodeaux, hey. that's good. Well, hey. you know, I know Mikey, uh, Michael personally, and uh, he's been doing everything, you know, every every day I see him come up with some sort of new fandangled uh, exercise for Calf the calves. And uh, yes. as of tomorrow, I think he'll be uh, doing a tri-set, yes. <laughs> standing, uh, proud pushing into seated. Uh, you, know, you know, the calves, the calves, to me, they're, they're much like abs. I mean, seriously, how much? Yeah. How many exercises can you imagine for calves? It's, yeah. it's pretty straightforward. Yeah. And I really believe that it's not so much the exercises you, you select as the way you do them. Yes. You know, the, 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 the Achilles tendon is the strongest tendon in the human body. It has the strongest stretch reflex. And also the ankle has the, one of the smallest range of motion of all the human body's joint. Mm. So what happens is if you go just a tiny bit too fast, yeah, the stretch reflex will probably do 90% of the range of motion. So you almost get zero contraction. Yes. So to me, the secret to really work the calves, first of all, you have to get rid of the stretch reflex. That means you have to pause for two seconds in the stretch position on yeah. every single rep. It takes two seconds to yeah. get rid of the stretch reflex completely. All right, so you take that out. And also, the, some people I see use that method they pause for two seconds then they bounce out from the bottom that's yes. stupid the first <laughs> like half inch has to be super slow then you can pick up some speed yeah. but when the body is in a position to still use the stretch reflex if it tries to bounce you really want to go slow to focus on the muscle contraction at the top you can go faster but at the bottom you go slow and at the top, you try to hold the peak contraction for at least one second. Because the range of motion is so short, if you want that high time under tension yes. that the calves need to grow, you need that pause, unless you want to do 30 reps, and I, and I don't like that. Yeah, yeah. So it, it, uh, but coming back to it, I mean, I do completely uh, agree with you. If you have a look at even the, the pro uh, IFBB ranks, you know, the likes of you know, Dennis Wolf and uh, Ronnie Coleman, not uh, amazing physiques, and obviously, you know, Coleman have many eight Olympias or whatever it was, but the calves, you know, <laughs> even with everything that they do. Even lugging around all the mass. And lugging around all that mass still uh, still wasn't uh, enough for those guys. So yeah, genetics, uh, fun. But, but you know, still, if, if you just, like, if you cut off Ronnie Coleman's lower leg and put it on the table, it would still look big. The thing yeah, is that yes. the rest of him is so big that yes. the calves look small in proportion. Yes. And because of the length of his tendon, I mean, the muscle, like, visually uh, looks smaller. It's kind of like when you have small joints, everything looks bigger. Yes. When, yeah. when you have a long, a long tendon, everything looks smaller. 
Yeah, true. True. Well, Christian, um, it's, it's been awesome. We've got a ton of great content. I really liked the way you explained things. It was nice in layman's terms. We, I understood it, and Tommy sort of was nodding, understanding it, so I'm pretty sure our, our listeners are going to get all that stuff too. Some really good info around training. Yeah, the way you explained it was awesome. Mm. Christian, thank so you so much for your time, mate. It was a very, very insightful, mate. Thank yeah, you. well done. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. See you later, mate. Bye-bye. Some fascinating content in there from Christian Thibodeau. In terms of accessing those high threshold motor units, Rawdon, he, he says the sweet spot is around about that 80 to 85% yeah. of your 1RM. That's where the magic happens. Three to six reps. The three to six rep range. And I guess his spin on the on the Perry workout nutrition as well, similar to uh, Milos and John Meadows, yes, he likes blood flow to the muscle. Yep. Yes, he does like to spike insulin to a degree before... Yep training but i guess just the the volume of nutrients the amount of carbohydrates yeah. that he's using is different yeah. so the same principle applies but the amount of nutrition you have is warranted or earned by the training stimulus the amount of volume in your workout perfectly explained tommy yeah you know he likes the more the the, the dian tripeptide type uh hydrolyzed casing what he was referring to but pepto pro is another one of those simply because it's a more of a complete uh, from what i gather more of a complete protein so that muscle protein synthesis that we're going for uh is really optimized but yeah it was it was sort of, i guess reassuring you know to hear him say that uh, and we didn't hear something completely different yes it's nice to know that all the the big wigs in the industry are, are, are on a similar page and rowing the same sort of boat they're not going around with one oar in circles tom we're, that's right two oars going straight which is good but I uh, also liked his take on the, the pre-workouts, and he was he really got his back up when I said, uh, you're going to have some no explode there, Tibbs, and he, and he, and he arced <laughs> up and said, no, his, uh, his athletes uh, and clients that he works with, definitely none, and he explained it, the, 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 the adrenals getting gassed out, and, and eventually uh, cortisol being the, the instead of adrenaline, uh, noradrenaline, we know we've spoken about that before, the yeah. hit intervals followed by steady state. We love these catecholamines, catecholamines. coming up to mobilize fat, and carbohydrates for energy but over time if you gas out those adrenals then that cortisol uh, is your dominant uh, hormone there and and robbing some of that uh, pregnenolone you heard him mention that mm. the raw material for your uh, testosterone testosterone DHEA and then, Androgens. And then, uh, then testosterone so um, yeah interesting spin on that you know I uh, I guess yeah we, we don't sort of really use that many uh, pre-workouts for, for our clients so certainly like a bit of caffeine and, and, and the tyrosine or things like that mm. but yeah really uh, uh, tippy top uh, interview there with uh, Thibs it was, uh, it was really good <laughs> well, hey, I jumped the gun a little jump bit. Jump the gun, you got to pace yourself, Tom. This is true. You got to, you know, at the right time. Well, that has been another episode of Under Huge the Bar, episode. the Clean Health Podcast. Lab coats, pausing lab coats uh, with the vitamin D. When are we going to going to do a show without the bloody lab coat? Yeah. Next week. Months and months of research. Yeah. yeah. All right. So some fundamentals there from vitamin D. Uh, 40 to 60 nanograms per milliliter is the uh, the sweet spot yes. in line with those Kenyan tribes uh, and uh, lactating mother uh, during uh, pregnancy so some fundamentals there and I guess combined 5 to 6,000 IU 
but uh, when we're getting a few from the sun, a few from nutrition anyway, from our proteins, one to two thousand IU a day should cover your bases yeah. to hit that sweet spot. Well, the, a nice, D. good quality pharmaceutical grade vitamin D. Yep. Uh, interest at pausing, Royden, chuck a bit of those into your routine if you've hit, hit a bit of a plateau or yep. want to change it up. It's funny when you give pauses to a client they just think you're trying to be nasty and make it harder yes but there is method to the madness method to the madness and like i said you know if you are getting pinned under a decline bench press <laughs> you know maybe throw in a few interest there pauses well i did a quite a lengthy isometric <laughs> for you did. half the, Mate, the repetition you're making well. it harder on yourself oh, yeah 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 nice work um and look go to the website cleanhealth.com.au forward slash podcast and um join up to the subscriber list obviously you'll go into the chance to win a, a podcast pack but we're going to start Putting a fair bit, some information and some resources yep. and programs and all that programs. kind of stuff on the. So uh, that's on the, uh, the way they do that. Will be and of course, once they do do that, Tom, they get to entry into the new segment, yes. the uh, under the bar wheel of fortune, where Cam jumps up and gives it a, <coughs> a big spin and uh, <laughs> uh, lands on a number, of course, and then they win the uh, clean health pack. <laughs> that has been the show. Thanks for listening. Thank you.